Hey y'all, I'm Anna Segura. And I'm Kendall Barger. And you're listening to Intuitive Adulting. Our mission is to equip you with the intuitive tools you need to explore things like your inner child, higher purpose, and spirituality, while also navigating adulty things like your annoying boss, grocery lists, and dirty laundry. Your life doesn't have to be filled with I should or I have to. Fill it up with I dream and I want to, and then make it happen with intuitive adulting. Hey, hi, hello, and welcome to the Intuitive Adulting Podcast. This episode is a fun one because we are wrapping up our final episode of the Enneagram and Tarot series, and it's my type. So we're finally getting to type nine. I'm so excited. First, let's do some intuitive adulting in the wild. Kendall, do you want to kick us off? Oh, okay. Sorry, I was not ready to start. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have to. I'll go first if you want. (laughs) Anna, why don't you tell us your story? I wasn't ready. (laughs) Okay. All right. So my story is a story in progress. So if you listen to our last episode, you know that my Thanksgiving did not go according to plan. My family had COVID, so my husband and I ended up staying away from them and having our own Thanksgiving, and it put me in a funk. And during our last episode, I was talking about silver linings, but the reality is I never really came out of the funk, and I've been kind of stuck in the funk for the past month, and it sucks, and I've been struggling to be motivated to do anything, honestly, whether it's laundry or working on my business or looking at new opportunities for 2021. I just, I just don't want to do anything. I told my husband the other day, I just want to hibernate. Can I be a bear? Like, can I just have a cup of hot chocolate and read a book on my fancy couch and just like cuddle up and sleep for the next three months? But hey, guess what? We're adults and we can't do that. And so yesterday... I had to cut myself off cold turkey from my numbing escape of choice, which is reading on my Kindle app. I was told by my screen time members (laughs) that I had spent an average of like eight hours a day on my phone last week. And that is like three times more than average. So cut myself off cold turkey yesterday and it was friggin' hard. But... What I noticed was last week, I basically avoided my friends, didn't really, like I would text people back sometimes or call them back sometimes, but kind of avoided it. And I was not engaging with my husband, which is weird because we talk all the time and we live together, we work together, we're both working from home. So it's silly for us to not talk. But what I found was yesterday, I was like craving people. And noticed that the Kindle was kind of satisfying my desire for socialization because it was all stories, but not, it was like junk food for my myself. So yesterday and today I have been without any books and it is scary and liberating, but that's exciting. And I'm feeling a little more motivated. I'm still struggling. And I just wanted to say that if any of you out there are struggling through the pre-winter blues as we step into what is going to be kind of a dark season, like literally like the sunlight dark. Hopefully it's not a dark season for you metaphorically. Just know that I'm, I'm there with you and I'm 
trudging through the darkness and there's spots of light. I don't know. We're going to figure this out. It can only last so long, right? So adulting in the wild, sometimes it's a struggle. This is actually a good time for me to say that me and my friend Megan Garcia are co-hosting a, I don't exactly know what we're calling it, but a sort of open house, open time, open space, just online meeting that's part of our joint venture that we've sort of started, which is called the Creative Camp. But basically on January 5th at a time in the evening, I want to say five Eastern, it might be six Eastern. I'll like post the actual details on Instagram. We're basically just hosting like a, just a space to kind of address what Anna just talked about, which is that especially once you get through the holidays, like it's hard to make a blanket statement about the holidays because for some people, the holidays is a really difficult time, but kind of in general, coming out of the holidays can just, it's a transition, whether whether you're happy it's happening, whether you're not happy it's happening, whether it's you're neutral about it, it's a transition. And, you know, as we head into a new year, that's a transition. As we head into a new administration, thank God, that's a transition. There's just a lot of transitions coming up and transitions can be really hard. And actually, that's kind of the topic of my story for today, um, which I'll get to in a second. But we just, we wanted to... Just kind of do something fun. The Creative Camp, which is our membership community that we've started, is all about play and fun in the effort or in the pursuit of personal sustainability, meaning taking care of yourself, taking care of yourself in ways that feel really good and are actually things that you can sustain. So we're just going to kind of have some space to like vent, debrief from the holiday season. It is not a goal setting workshop. We are not talking about intentions. We are not doing vision boards. Not that there's anything wrong with any of those things. We did a whole episode on those already. We are not here to plan 2021. We are just there to like be together and we might have games. We might just like go around, share stories, but it's just a time to like hold some space for each other as we are in kind of a funky time, whether you're transitioning out of holiday blues into January blues, whether, you know, whatever, whatever your situation is. So that's gonna be on January 5th at a time in the evening. I will report back on Instagram with better information, but I wanted to throw that out there because I thought that that like tied in very nicely with your story, Anna. Oh, absolutely. And we'll leave the link in the episode description below. So check that out. And yeah, that would have been really good like two weeks ago. (laughs) I needed something to like, because I think something that is really easy for me to make excuses about is like, oh, reading is self-care. It's good for you. Mm. So many people are like, I wish that I read more books every year. And I'm like, I read almost 300 books in 2020. And it was not good. (laughs) Not good. No bueno. (laughs) I really liked your analogy of junk food. Because we think about junk food. Is it bad to eat junk food every once in a while? In my opinion, no. Junk food's one of those things that like, you know, they talk about in moderation and especially for around the holidays and it. There's things that might be classified as junk food, like cookies and cakes or whatever. But like, it's the holidays and it's part of the experience, you know, and you don't want to like attach shame to anything around that. At the same time, though, if you only ate cookies for the rest of your life, that would probably be an issue. So I think that's like a really good analogy for things beyond food and just kind of looking at the things in your life that are they working for you? It invites 
sort of the opportunity to not assign value to anything. Example, like reading books, people might assign the value of like, oh, that's really good. But for some people like you, depending on your relationship to reading books, depending on your current mental state, it could actually be not as healthy or productive right now. So I just, I don't know, I think that's like a really good invitation to give yourself a little bit more grace and, you know, a little bit more gentleness, not, not assign value to everything and more just look at it from the perspective of, is this working for me right now? Because there might be a time in your life where it's actually really healthy and productive for you to just kind of tune out for a little while and, and read. But then you were able to recognize during this month that, hey, this is not serving me. This is me trying to avoid something else or not take care of something else. Any action can become unhealthy if you do it to excess, whatever level of that activity is excess yeah. for you, which could be, it is different for every person. So, or even yeah. if you say that it's unhealthy, like if I'm going to eat, let's say I'm going to eat some chips. If I'm like, I'm going to eat chips and I hate myself that I'm eating these chips and it's terrible that I'm, you know, not eating vegetables instead, then it's like, okay, like nothing is serving me right now, but it's, it's okay to treat yourself. It's okay to take care of yourself if your body right now needs some downtime reading or your body right now, your soul right now just needs some hot chocolate. Um, I think we're very quick to assign shame, blame, or negative connotations to things instead of looking at, hey, what do I need right now? And is this yeah. meeting my needs that I need right now? Yes, great, no, let's look for something else. Yeah, I think the question that I like to ask is how is this serving me? Because there's no judgment on that question. Right. Serving me could be it is serving my tendency to avoid or it's it's allowing me to step into that energy. Or it could be like the first couple of days of reading were not a bad thing. I really needed to decompress. And that is a really good way for me to let go of all of the adulting responsibilities. But yeah, after day 20 <laughs> or so, <laughs> it's no longer healthy. So how about you? What's your adulting in the wild story today? Mine isn't so much a story as it is. Basically, I had therapy yesterday and we had a very interesting conversation about something. And I just wanted to share that insight and that conversation because I thought it was super applicable to our podcast and our audience members. Basically, we were talking about, again, transitions. And specifically, we were talking about kind of looking at the transition from high school to college and then, again, like college to adulthood. And then once you get out of college, there's so many transitions that could happen depending on where you move, your career, changing jobs, friendships evolving, relationships, family changes. So for certain, our lives look very different in terms of our childhood and our high school experiences. So you might be someone who went through a lot of transitions in your childhood. I know I did because I kind of, I didn't really stay in one like school system throughout. I kind of changed school systems at each sort of break, if that makes sense. But still, I can say that there were way more transitions once I got to college and adulthood. And my therapist, she, she kind of put it in a different context for me that was really eye-opening and was the reason that I wanted to share this today, which was that she was talking about how even if we, like, let's say we go to college, even though, like, cognitively, logically, we know, like, hey, like, this is what I've been planning for. It's really great that I get to go to college. You know, I know that 
you know, if you moved out and you're, you know, away from your home and your parents, you know, I know that they're still there. I know that I'm not fully on my own yet, but our body often processes that very differently because you're, you're literally like within one day, you move into college, you move into your dorm, you're like extracting yourself from your safe place. And even if you were struggling with your parents, even if you, you know, weren't responding well to the way that your parents were raising you, like, it's still kind of a consistency, kind of that transition into adulthood, like that really is like a shock to your body and your system. She she was talking about how like our body will respond to that shift in safety and security, even if we don't process it consciously or logically, we know that we are still safe. We're still going to feel that kind of discomfort or, you know, kind of abrupt shift and change. And then for sure, again, when you graduate college, especially if you then move or you start a new job, all that kind of stuff. Like logically, we know this is what I've been working towards. This is, you know, this is what my peers are doing. Great. But your body is still kind of processing that change. At the same time, too, we're saying as a like a society, we're saying, okay, you got to pick your major. You got to decide what you're going to do for the rest of your life. You got to make all these decisions and you got to have your shit together. And then when you graduate, you got to move and have to have a job. But of course, you have no experience. And then you have all this debt and like all these things. So the point of me sharing this, I think there's kind of like two points. Point number one is whether, like no matter what age you are, I know for me, it's been kind of helpful to kind of reflect back on my college experience and to put it in a little bit of a gentler context and not look back with so much criticism or, well, why didn't I do this? Well, if I had done this, then this wouldn't have happened. Well, you know, right now I, I don't have this. What if I had done this when I was younger or whatever? So it kind of just helped me like look back on that time with a little bit more appreciation and softness and recognition of really the scale of like what we're going through during that time in our life. And then the second point was kind of very similar to Anna's point, which is that again, no matter what age you are, but I think especially I really want to hit this home if, you know, we have people in college listening or early 20s mid 20s give yourself a break and I'm saying this to myself too like there is so much pressure to quote unquote have your shit together and have everything figured out and check off all these boxes and I know myself I put that pressure on myself in college and when I got out of college I would talk about it with my friends we would evaluate each other's lives you know, not literally checking off a list, but we'd talk about the things we've accomplished. We would look at other people and critique them in their lives. And so it's just like a call to action to just like take a breath and just know that there's no set script for you, that you get to take care of yourself at your own pace. You get to make decisions at your own pace. There's no checklist that you need to be checking off. You don't need to compare your list to someone else's. I don't know, just being now in like mid to late 20s, I'm just like, I really wish I had not put so much pressure on myself in college and my early 20s to have everything figured out. So again, not really a story, just more I wanted to report back my insights from therapy yesterday. (laughs) Well, and I think that's really beautiful because I know that there are like country songs about this and all sorts (laughs) of saying, but it's like the older I get, the more I realize, the less I know. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So I hit 30 this year and I am realizing more and more that first of all, 30 is way younger than I thought it was. Yeah. I now look at people who are like having kids in their early 20s. I'm like, oh my God, how do you do it? (laughs) There's also just this beautiful release that can happen as you get older. It's like, wow, okay. I'm kind of okay with it. I'm kind of okay with not having all the answers. I'm kind of okay with, I've learned the lesson that it's okay to go with whatever is the best decisions that I can make in the moment with the information that I have, knowing that I have, I always have imperfect information. So mm, it's a hard really lesson good way to, to put it. Yeah. Cool. So that was my story, my non-story. It just, yeah, it was, it was helpful for me to kind of recontextualize that part of my life. Cause I think sometimes I feel like I'm still sort of in that stage of, okay, like I don't have everything figured out. So I like really haven't started being an adult yet. And so I need to do all this stuff to check off all these boxes and then I'll really be an adult. And ugh, I don't know. I just want to go back in time and give myself a hug. <laughs> just be like, <laughs> it's going to be okay. Yeah. Just, just let it go. Just relax. Read some books. Eat some chips. <laughs> I know. Like hang out with your friends. This is fun. Everything will be fun. All right. Do we want to talk about type nine? Yeah. Let's get into it. So Anna is going to drive this car today because we have a real living type nine to share with us all the insights about being a type nine and how it relates to our two tarot cards today, which are the strength card and the hanged man. Yes. Is that right? Okay. (laughs) Yes. I know. And actually right before we got on this call, I picked up one of my decks to like pull out these cards so that I could look at them during this. And I like touched my deck and I was like, I need to do a spread for myself. <laughs> so thankfully I had time and wouldn't, wouldn't you know, I pulled the strength card for myself. So that was kind of a beautiful little wink from the universe yeah. before we started. So Anna, tell us about type nines. What do we need to know about understanding the motivations, thought patterns of a type nine? So type nines are also often referred to as the peacemaker. One of the most unifying characteristics of a type nine, of all of us type nines, is this desire for peace. Now, this word sometimes makes me a little like, I don't like seek peace. I like, I can stand up for myself. And that's true. So nines are not like pushovers all the time it's like how i don't like the word unique for exactly i'm like i don't like peace fine it works but like no <laughs> so i think what helped me to understand what it meant to be a type nine was understanding the childhood wound so the childhood wound for a type nine is we learned that in order to receive love and this is learned not it's not facts, but it's like what we internalized is that in order to earn the love of the people around us, we had to keep the peace. We had to minimize the conflict. So for me, I am the oldest of three. And when I was growing up, my mom had a big corporate job. So she would travel a lot. My dad was taking care of the three of us. We were all little and it was, you can imagine, he was basically single dad working and trying to wrangle three kids all the time. We had a lot of fish sticks. So (laughs) I learned that I have this memory of sitting around our kitchen table and my brother and sister being young. So therefore a pain in the ass and like not wanting to eat dinner or whatever. And the way that my dad would give me attention while I was quietly eating my dinner was he would hold my hand and squeeze it twice. And I knew that that meant I love you. Like that was how he told me he loved me. 
So when I was behaving and being quiet and helping them to behave and be quiet, I got the double squeeze. <laughs> like that was how I earned love. In a lot of my life, I've always been a peacekeeper. I've always been the one to be the moderator, the mediator, whatever the words are. Like I'm the one who helps everyone come back to neutral, which I think makes me a really good coach because I have this ability to see a lot of different sides, which is really classic nine behavior. Basically what nines desire is for the least amount of conflict. And what we fear is losing the people around us because of something that we do or say. So the classic behaviors of a nine when we are in stress is that we will retreat. We will retreat back into ourselves. I thought when we were doing research for the type eight episode, I thought that that was me potentially going into type five, which was retreating, but then I did some research on type nine. So we have what a lot of people call like an inner sanctum. So I have this safe place in my own mind where if things get to be too conflict on the outside, like if I'm having a, I can remember one particular incident where I had a fight with my husband early in our relationship. It was like blowing up. And I just remember this, this like flipping the switch and being like, and I'm done. And just like still being physically present, but feeling absolutely no emotions. And that was me fully checking out as a nine. So when we are in stress, we go to six, which is essentially like feeling all of that anxiety. So we start to hear like all of the potential ways that life could go wrong, all of the ways that someone might react negatively to something that we say or do. It's not a fun place to be. And then in strength, we move to threes, which is being more focused on goals, being more focused on like really becoming somebody to be a leader. We're able to embrace that side of ourselves. We're able to step out of the fear of judgment, the fear of losing the relationships in our lives and step into being fully ourselves, showing our passions so that we can make change. And I think nines are a really interesting type because we have a huge amount of empathy and can see ourselves in all of the different types in all the different people. I mean, I play devil's advocate till people tell me to shut up. Like <laughs> I will tell you the 10 different ways that a situation can be interpreted and it makes me a good coach. Sometimes it makes me an annoying friend. <laughs> so it's just kind of part of being a nine is knowing that there's a million different explanations and a million different sides of every situation and just really trying to navigate the most peaceful outcome to any of those situations. And it's really easy to mistype a nine because we often behave like a lot of other types. So I mistype myself as a type two, and then I tried to retype myself as a type eight, but type nines can be mistyped constantly. So yeah, we're a fun bunch. <laughs> Do you want to share any experiences from the recent retyping wormhole that you just went down. I know we'll do an episode more in depth on like mistyping and retyping, but like how were you able to kind of come back to, no, I actually am a nine, not a type eight. And what originally tipped you off that you weren't a type two, you were actually a type nine? That's a really good set of questions. So let me start with the type two thing first, because that one's an easy one. So I thought I was the world's worst type two. Like I, I thought I was a two, but I was also just an awful person because Which that's not the point of the Enneagram. <laughs> no, no. If that's the feeling that you're getting from your type structure, then that might not be your type structure. So type twos are the helper and they want to just like serve people and earn love through service. That felt like something that I do because 
if you look back at my childhood, I would help my dad to make dinner. I would put my siblings ahead of myself, but I am never the person who's like first up to do the dishes. <laughs> like after dinner, this is not me. Like I'm not like that. I'm super lazy. Type nines are known to be procrastinators and kind of passive in a lot of things. Like I, I'm a professional procrastinator. Like the last minute is the only minute many times. So that was how I knew that as I was exploring the Enneagram further, and I did take a test and I tested early, like before I had studied the Enneagram, I tested as a type two, I think it was like type two, then type eight, then type nine. What I think was happening was I was answering a lot of the questions the way I wanted to react, not the way that I do react, which is also how I knew in the end that I am not a type eight either. So when I was studying the type eight structure, there were things that popped out at me, particularly with the self-preservation eights, which is the eight counter type. So it is the most quiet of the type eights. Like I am not like the, the big, bold sexual type eight, like at all, but I'm also not a typical passive nine often. I have a really strong eight wing, which is why it got kind of muddy. And the way that I knew the difference between being an eight with a strong nine wing or a nine with a strong eight wing or being a self-preservation eight versus a sexual nine, it came down to like, what is my most frequent first reaction? My most frequent first reaction to any sort of conflict is not to step up and get involved. It's to step back and walk away. I am much more likely to retreat than I am to engage. If I was a type eight, I would be, it would be the reverse. I would more likely engage than retreat. I also know that my type eight or my eight wing is much stronger than my one wing. So I am not super into details. I'm not someone who's really organized about most things. There's some things that I'm really obsessive about. There's some things that I get really twitchy about, but most of my life is kind of, I mean, if you could see my studio right now, it's a hot mess. So yeah, I'm much more likely to step into my eight wing, but I am a sexual nine, which means I am, I'm more energized. I'm more one-to-one -one relationships, like a lot more engaging. Like I'm, I don't know how to explain that better, but I'm just like a much more active nine than kind of the average. So the nines that are meme worthy are the ones who are like, especially the self-preservation nine. That's kind of the meme worthy one where it's like, and checking out at all times, <laughs> like procrastinating at all times. And that's not me necessarily, especially when I'm healthier the past two weeks, it's kind of been me. Yeah, that was how I knew I wasn't a two and I wasn't an eight. Let's talk about procrastination for a second, because I think this is a good example of how the Enneagram works. Like procrastination is like my go-to example behavior that I use when I'm trying to explain why the Enneagram is different to other people, because procrastination is an outward behavior that is motivated by something that's going on internally and it's often associated with nines like type nines are I think most often associated with procrastination just like twos are most often associated with you know Casseroles. gifts yeah <laughs> <laughs> um type fours are most often associated with moodiness you know whatever but anyone can be moody anyone can be really helpful anyone can procrastinate but the reasons why you're doing things are going to doing those things are going to look different from type to type to type. So especially since type nine is like procrastination is often most 
frequently linked with type nine. And I do think it kind of has an underlying connection to the like motivation of type nine. Can you talk about your sort of perspective on procrastination, why you procrastinate and how that might be different from someone else who's not a type nine that's procrastinating? So it's interesting. I'm trying to think of what other types might be most likely to be procrastinators. I think type sevens are really common other group that procrastinates because they're likely to procrastinate the things that they don't see as fun or the things yeah. that they feel like might bring up negative emotions. I know for me as a type, if we're using the soul child theory, like an, an inner type one going on inside, like I know for me, I procrastinate if I don't think I can do it perfectly or if it's going to reflect, if it's going to like reveal some sort of flaw about me, if I could like be looked at as like, oh, you screwed up, like you're a bad person for doing this, then I'll put it off because then that puts off the eventual criticism or whatever of that thing. That could be applicable to ones or fours. Mine's kind of like both mixed in, but that's why I procrastinate. right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I mean, we could go through every one of the nine types and talk about why they procrastinate. Mm -hmm. For a nine, again, you always have to be thinking about the conflict. So nines procrastinate because they want to avoid conflict. For me, that shows up as procrastinating because lots of different stories in my head. Story one, if I'm successful at this, then it will cause conflict with people that I'm in a relationship with. Like if I make more money, it'll cause a conflict Mm, with my husband. Like if you're too much. Yeah. That like, I don't have the right to take up more space than I'm already taking up. And that's a big nine thing. And I actually had to work with my coach on this. Like in the car, Andy and I will put our arm on the console to like, like the armrest on the console. And if he does it, then I won't because I don't want to like shove him off of it. And it's like, well, I'm a person. I'm just as deserving of the, yeah. (laughs) But like taking up space can be hard for me. Yeah. But then I see that connection to type three of like moving into that strength phase, having kind of tapping into that three energy, feeling more empowered to like take up that more space. Absolutely. And I can tell you like periods of my life when I've been really tapped into that type three energy. I think when I procrastinate, it's often about avoiding the work because it feels like in my life, what I want is peace. And when I am at the most peaceful is when I am by myself and doing the things that I want to do, like times when I'm reading, that's very peaceful to me. And so the conflict for me comes in when I'm like, oh, that sounds like work. And like, what if it's not good enough? And there's a lot of good enough energy that happens with procrastination for any type, but I don't know, especially for a type nine. I don't know if that's a legitimate statement because I think it's about every type. But yeah, procrastination for type nines is about avoiding that conflict, whether it's the fear of the success or the failure or taking up space. It's really just this desire to kind of keep the status quo because upsetting the status quo. And wow, this is like therapy for me because I'm in a season of this right now. (laughs) Oh, I see. Upsetting the status quo is scary because Mm -hmm. right now I have enough control and enough insight into what it takes to be safe and peaceful and avoid the scary conflict in the world. And I do that by not changing anything. So finding motivation is really hard sometimes because it can feel like change, which can feel like conflict. Yeah. Yeah. I always kind of reframed or just reworded peace 
for type nines as like homeostasis, like wanting to be in that homeostatic balance for good or for worse, whatever it is, moves you out of that homeostatic balance, whether that's like, hey, I got a promotion or it's like, hey, you know, I'm in a fight with someone, which I think that's like a really interesting thing to note for type nines, especially, but kind of anyone, um, especially as you mentioned, so many people of any type can struggle with the I'm not good enough story or I haven't done enough or I'm just not enough. That even something that is is good or something that you do want can still come with emotional challenges because of our... change is hard. Yeah, because change is hard. That's a really good way to put it. <laughs> yeah. Change is hard. Change is scary because it's unknown. It's change. You can't yeah. define what's going to happen after the fact. And sometimes it can just be easier to be like, well, if I don't do anything, then nothing will change and then I'll be safe. And... That's kind of leaning back into that six energy, sort of. Right. Yeah. But the joke's on me because <laughs> there is no such thing as safe in this world. And not the way that that statement constructed it. There's a big difference between safe and stagnant. Staying in procrastination, staying in... Stagnant action, means no change. Right. It gets, it gets dangerous. Like, there becomes a point, and I think this is what I was talking to my husband about yesterday that what I really want is to have an event that forces me to be motivated. It's like, if only I could get fired, <laughs> then I like would be motivated. Like a tower card moment? Yeah. And I think what's funny is we can create our own tower moments intentionally, which I am, again, having revelations as we're speaking that like yesterday was kind of my tower moment where... I didn't do a couple of things that I really should have done. And they really bit me in the ass. And I finally was like, you know what? I'm done. We're tearing this tower down. <laughs> I haven't deleted the Kindle app because I'm still allowing myself to read it after 10 p.m. But I'm not going to read. I am going to give myself beautiful grace to be physically active and all the things. But like, we have to change. So yeah, change is hard though. I think this is a good time. We're going to go out of order a little bit to talk about the Hanged Man card. Mm, yes. So the Hanged Man. In the traditional Rider weight, the Hanged Man depicts a man hanging upside down by one ankle from a tree. It looks like he's like caught in a trap in a tree. But if you look at his face and you look at a lot of the other Hanged Man illustrations across different tarot decks, there's almost a piece in this card because the person or figure who is hanged, they're not necessarily completely stuck. Like their hands are free. Yeah. No, mine, his uh, hands are locked, but he's holding the key. Like he could easily unlock mm -hmm. himself and get himself down, but is still hanging upside down. Yeah. So the message with this card is usually about the fact that there is a decision to be made, an action to be taken. And there's a quiet contemplation that happens in this card. Like that's always what kind of comes up for me is there's this like almost deep breath with this card where it's like, and I have knowledge. I have knowledge and I have resources and I can get myself out of whatever this situation is. I just have to want to, and I just have to actually take action to make that change. So that's what the hangman is really about. It's about making choices and trusting that you have the resources and the knowledge to take action based on those choices. In reverse, it's about resisting 
the reality that you have that power, kind of living in denial about what that choice is or being truly stuck in an impossible situation. But no situation is impossible. No situation has like complete dead ends at every turn. And so really for our nines, this card is about the fact that you can't just live as if they're, the world is happening to you. You have to make the choices and take the action. And if you don't, there's no one else that you can pass the buck to. It's all on you for better or worse. I think it's a perfect example of what we were just talking about right before this, which is the difference between stagnant versus safe, inevitable change. Yeah, because the hanged man is at its core, it is about the conflict in your mind over the situation. It has nothing to do with the actual situation. It's about choosing yourself and choosing your future and your path and choosing action over the inaction. It's a beautiful card. Yeah, what's what stood out to me is the emphasis on making a choice, which ties into what we were talking about with procrastination, because procrastination is often putting off making a choice. Sometimes it's putting off yes. doing something, but that's kind of putting off the choice to actually do something. <laughs> yes. Even when it's like in college, putting off my papers until the very last minute. Y'all, I don't I don't know how I graduated college or got my <laughs> masters. I it is embarrassing how much I procrastinated my my papers, even in grad school. Oh, man. <laughs> Can I tell a really embarrassing high, a college story? So finals week of my freshman year. <laughs> I don't know why I'm telling you this. So yes, finals week, my freshman year, second semester. I had a huge exam coming up that was one of my history classes. And it was like deep, detailed history that I was going to need to know, like names and dates and all the things. And for three days, instead of studying, I literally stayed up almost 24-7 reading for the very first time the Twilight series because I had never heard of it before. And my neighbor, <laughs> stop laughing at me, my neighbor in my dorm was like, oh, have you ever read Twilight? And I was like, no, what's that? And then I blew through all of them in like three days. I read all of them. And I stayed up till like legitimately would take like 45 minute naps to get back awake and start reading again. So yeah, that's how a nine does it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, no, that's a good story. <laughs> All right, let's talk about strength though, because this is kind of the, I like to think of this as the secret superpower of a nine that a lot of times it's even a secret from the nine themselves. <laughs> so in, again, the traditional Rider weight deck, it depicts a woman and a lion. And the woman has her hand on the lion and she is essentially influencing him through just her touch. So when we normally think of the word strength, it's like power and force. When you think of someone who's strong, heavy air quotes there, you might think of, you know, a super muscular guy, like Navy SEALs, got a lot of strength. Yeah. But what's interesting is the strength card typically in most renderings is always a woman and often a young woman. And what this card really represents is it's about inner strength. It's about strength of character. When we talk about the strength card, we're talking about the ability to tap into that inner strength and lead the lion that is the universe, the lion that is our lives, that is our destiny through that inner strength. So one of my decks, this is the 
line strider deck it depicts a young woman with a lion and they are like on an outcropping she looks so peaceful she's got like one hand reached up to the lion and there are arrows coming in at them and none of them are landing and what i love to remember about the strength card and now i'm feeling really kind of emotional because i totally just pulled it for myself right before we talked the strength card is to me it's like a wink from the universe that says like i've got you you've got this you are meant to be doing this you have everything you need to do this go get you done so when i see the strength card it is always a reminder to me that like i've gotten myself this far i've been able to create the abundance that is in my life today yes privilege yes resources that i have been able to access beyond a baseline yes I have been lucky in certain aspects, certain situations and people who have come into my life. I've been very blessed, but I also have a really deep well of inner strength. I can be super stubborn. I can be the warrior when I need to be. And I think that's the beautiful part of the strength card is like we can tap into that. For the nines out there, the thing that I want you to think about when you think about the strength card is... How am I going to tap into my inner strength? How am I going to tap into my passion so that I can move forward in the actions that I want to be taking, the the path that I am on? It's not about forcing things. It's not about the brunt force that an eight would have. It's not about the intellectual strength and focus that a five might have. It's about sometimes peace is the most daring thing that you could shoot for. For a nine to be constantly desiring to have that over conflict, it takes more inner strength to seek peace than it does to solve things through conflict. So use your superpower of inner strength and that determination. Make your decisions with the hangman and then lean on that inner strength. I feel like this card is a perfect analogy for a nine really tapping into their three energy. Like, I don't think this card is type three energy. I think this card is type nine moving into type three energy. Does that make sense, the difference? Absolutely. Because if it was type three energy, it would be flashier. It would be... A lot more outward. Yes. And this is, again, a very quiet card, similar to the Hanged Man, where it's also a quiet card. The Strength card is not that brash, abrasive forceful strength. It is deep internal influencing strength. Yeah. Because I think too, that reminds me another Enneagram connection to this is type nines are in the withdrawn stance and type threes are in the aggressive stance. For a type nine to move into type three, it's not that they're becoming aggressive. That's not it. And they're not changing their stance. It's almost like they're able to kind of balance that withdrawn energy with the outward attention or assertiveness that's a better word I think of a type three to almost kind of create like a next level piece for them it's like they get to kind of move along their continuum and evolve yeah they get to bring all of the strength of a nine so I'm thinking like a really easy way to imagine this is if you had if you were working in an organization and you had a leader who was a type three they might be bossier. They might be more concerned with how the team is perceived. They might be 
trying to get on the newest projects or very goal oriented. Yeah. Like they're constantly looking for the outward things where a type nine standing in their strength as a manager is very much, first of all, a listener. They're going to be listening to all sides of the story. They're also going to be very focused on promoting the people within their team so that they can display their strengths. That's like a very nine thing to do is to like promote others. And they're going to be that peacemaker who is creating good relationships with within the team and with your counterparts in other teams. Like they're going to be the ones who, yes, have that three leader energy, have that three goal oriented desire, but they're going to be doing it from a place of kind of lean back energy. They're really good to work for. So all in all, for our type nines, our amazing peacekeepers, first of all, sending all my love because it's not easy to be in a type nine brain. Sometimes it's not a fun place to be. And I've been in a non-fun place nine wise in my brain <laughs> the past couple of weeks. So give yourself that grace and space to step back when things feel too conflicty, when things feel too aggressive. It's okay to take a beat instead of withdrawing contemplate what's going on and figure out why it is that you're feeling so much pressure or so much stress about a situation. See what the trigger is and then be willing to make the choices. Lean into that hanged man energy of you have what you need. You are fully able and fully empowered to make the choices. You just have to actually do it. And then lean on that strength. Tap into your eight wing where it's that lion energy and make changes because I mean, maybe this is a totally biased perspective. I am acknowledging this y'all to the other eight types. Don't get on me. But I think type nines are some of the people that are the most required to find the next level up of our society, like the next iteration, the next evolution. Yeah. We have to get more tapped into the type nine energy of finding ways to balance the different energies in the world and type nines do that really well and they they've got that superpower to see everything from all sides so if you're a nine out there we need you so this concludes our enneagram and tarot series which is very exciting that was the genesis of this whole podcast was anna and i coming together and typing the major arcana cards and figuring out which Enneagram type needed to hear the reminders and lessons and, you know, loving acknowledgements from each of the major cards. And we did it. We're done. Done all nine types. We definitely recommend if you haven't listened to all of them, at the very least, we think it would be beneficial for you to listen to your type, your wings, and the numbers that you travel to in rest and strength. And if you don't know your type, this is a good way to kind of tap into the energies of all the types. Um, And we are here to support you on your Enneagram and your tarot journey. So make sure you come say hi over at intuitive.adulting on Instagram. Anna's personal page and my personal page are linked there as well. If you want to check out what we're doing outside of the podcast, this is also going to be our final episode for 2020. So we've finished this year. We did it. We started a podcast (laughs) and we finished the series just in time 
that was sort of the purpose of this podcast to begin with. So if you have any suggestions of topics that you would like to see us talk about on the show, there is a suggestion box, which is a Google form. It's linked in the link in our bio on our Instagram page. So um, feel free to check that out and we will see you in 2021. Happy adulting, intuitive adults. You've been listening to Intuitive Adulting with Anna and Kendall. To hear new episodes, subscribe on your podcasting platform of choice. If you're feeling extra saucy, leave us a review. For fun extras, more conversation, and to be a member of our Intuitive Adulting family, follow us on Instagram at intuitive.adulting. Catch you in the next episode.